Hello and welcome to another episode of Castings the Fire Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Bill. And we are on episode three of Rings of Power. This episode titled Adar, which is Sindarin Elvish for father. Which, uh, that could be meaningful. Yeah. Um, we open right with Arondir the Elf being brought into the Orcs prisoner camp. There's a lot of other prisoners there. Um, I thought they were all elves, but Bill thought he saw a rounded ear. I thought, yeah. <laughs> I was like, are we going to call them night ears and round ears now? Like, what's, yeah, I know. No, we're not going to be doing that. But that's like, you did. one of them did look human. Uh, I don't think orcs discriminate in who they capture for. Yeah, I assume they just sort of uh, enslave whoever and make them uh, do their work for them. But of course with elves, it's like an extra uh, agony because they're cutting down trees. They're being forced to cut down trees and thus basically kill what they consider their their kin, almost. So, yes, the the elves or prisoners are being put to slave labor. They're digging. And cutting trees. And stuff like that. And an orc says to a rondeer... For Adar, not for you. And I'm not exactly sure where he was going with that, but there's gonna be a bit more on that later. Um, it it shifts to Galadriel and um, Halbrand are on board a human ship that has picked them up. Now I should make a correction. Um, the man that Galadriel was on the raft with, I kept saying his name was Halbarad. Uh, it's not. It's Halbrand. I heard it wrong. Okay, well, there you go. I didn't even... I don't even remember the guy's name ever. Like, a few seconds went by and I don't remember his name. But anyway, he's a... Apparently... Now, what is he? Is he a character in any of the books or anything like that? Is no, he, he isn't, but it's pretty much... It's a pretty generic name for a man in, in Middle-earth, Middle Earth, so... Yeah. Well, that, but that's just one of those things I know. Again, I've... I've read Lord of the Rings, I've read The Hobbit, I've read Children of Hearn. I have mostly skimmed through the Semerillion, so I will sometimes I... not know certain characters in uh, second or first age. Uh, so I didn't know if he was a particular important person. I mean, I guess he's going to be made important here. Uh, yeah, he's some guy. Yeah, some guy. He's some guy with a some guy's name and um, whatever he's going to be I guess we're going to find out I mean he's they're both on board a ship they're in the hold actually and Halbrand brings Galadriel a plate of food and I can't quite see what it is but it looks like it had maybe rice in it and he says it's not poison and as she's eating it not for humans anyway so he's still he's trying to mess with her a bit um they're asking the captain where the ship is bound to and he's not really being forthcoming about it but he says it's going home yeah which home is uh 
home turns out to be the island of Numenor, or as Galadriel called it, the land of the star. But that's, now that's, who was it that said it was going home? It was the... The, the captain. captain. Yeah, exactly. That is not, it should be known, that's not, um, Hal, what's his name again? Hal, see, I forgot already. Hal that's Burn. not where Halbrand is Hal, from. That's not where Halbrand is from, and that's going to be an important thing. Um, Halbrand is from, where, where did he say he was from? He's, He's from, from the Southland, so I assume the area that would become Gondor later. Yeah, so, uh, and he is not a part of that. So, it's the captain taking them to Numenor. And uh, Numenor, it's shown very rocky. It has some greener, more wooded parts of it, but it's very rocky. It's very populated. Um, there's carved stone statues kind of like you see with the Argonath in uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, it's very built up. I would say the architecture looks kind of vaguely Roman. I say as somebody who doesn't actually know that stuff very well, well even in real it, life. It but looks like it's supposed to sort of be like a uh, almost like uh, a Greco-Roman with some later, maybe like later influences or something like that. It's kind of a mixture. They kind of have like, you know, a mixture of Greco-Roman and maybe some like Persian type uh, influence. <laughs> and it's it's not clearly, I think it's clearly meant to not necessarily be a one-to-one comparison. It's just meant to be a grand architecture. And, and of know, course, this has been um, relatively isolated from the rest of Middle Earth for years, so it's got it's going to have its own style. So. Yeah, Galad Galadriel says stuff to Halbrand about how his ancestors stood with Morgoth in the Great War. And the ancestors of this place stood with the elves. But now they've cut off the elves, and they don't want to apparently have anything to do with the elves. But, which, but it's been like how many years? It's been like a hundred years? It's been, it's been more than that. It doesn't help that the timeline of this seems to be somewhat crunched down, shortened for um, easier filming. Um... But yeah, the elves really seem to get at the humans of the Southlands for their ancestors' association with Morgoth. Now anyway, the island of Numenor was granted as a reward to the humans who stood with the elves in the Great War, which I assume is the War of Wrath. It was granted as a reward by the Valar. And this isn't really gone into. So far, at least in the show. But the island is basically the furthest you can get without getting into, like, Elven and Valar-only lands like um, Valinor. It's it's pretty much the furthest west toward Valinor, except for this one island closer to Valinor that's um, elven only. 
and part of the rules set by the valor for the humans to live there was that they could not leave and sail to Valinor and basically they weren't even supposed to sail out of sight on the west from the, their own western shore you know, and that that's self-imposed the, right well, the Valor actually did set a rule, you can't do this. So the Valor, the Valor actually made it a rule for them. Yes, because if humans were to go to Valinor, it wouldn't make them immortal. They'd just, like, fizzle out even faster because of the magic it's of... Too, it's too bright. The magic's too bright and too pure and all that. Right? That kind I'm of sure. thing, yes. But it, it's, it's kind of an Adam and Eve sort of don't-touch-that-tree Humans don't like these kind of rules. Also, did, didn't some humans <laughs> go there towards the end, though? And, I mean, I'm Bilbo went there, eventually. So, um, like, how does Yeah, that there work? was, and I don't understand how that worked. Yeah, that's... I don't I know if Tolkien even worked out how that worked. Well, but yeah, he might he, not have, and that's one of those things where I did not know And he did that. a lot of, you know, writing and rewriting of his own stuff on yeah. so many subjects. And, 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 but that's one of those, I did not even know that, that, that humans couldn't just go there. Like, it's I not gonna that, make you immortal, and it's... I, th- I thought that humans... I thought that it was just very difficult to go there. Like, it's, like, borderline impossible and, like, you know, you have to be let in. But I thought that humans and hobbits... By the time of of the Third Age, it's even on a different plane, so it basically has to be an elf piloting the boat or you're just going to sail around the curve of the Earth and... Yeah, so, the curve of Middle Earth. But, uh, so, yeah, I wasn't sure about that. I just know that by the Third Age, like, you have instances of non-elves going there. And it's, like... And, and I apparently, and I want okay. to have the answer to this, but I don't. Well, we're not going to because you know, all the sources now they could possibly answer it. I think are uh, past. So. Unless his grandkids find more of uh, the notes, yeah, well, yeah, grandpa's yeah, notes and publish them. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who's. Uh, I mean, Christopher's no longer alive, and he, as far as I know, he was doing a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. If there's anybody else looking after him. But anyway, you know, that's one of those things. We'll, we'll probably never find out, but you never know. Well, humans, of course, do not like rules. Especially rules that don't make sense to them. And they're jealous of the elves' immortality. And they also hate having this rule. And they think that if they break it, they will get immortality. And... At this point, this is why elves are not welcome in Numenor anymore. It's it's the envy over this. They get to go to Valinor, and they're immortal. And yeah, I mean they're immortal anyway for the most part, as long as they don't nothing happens to them. And are... to be perfectly honest, I would envy them too. I mean, I know it's not right, but well, Valinor is it's human nature. Like, yeah, it's supposed to be you know this perfect. But anyway, that was a little sidetrack there. So, yes, elves used to come freely to Numenor, but lately they have been turned, the ships have been turned away and they've broken off all contact. And this is the Numenor that Galadriel is brought to. And they're brought straight to. Muriel, the queen regent of Numenor. Now, I'm not exactly sure how she's queen regent. Um, 
my understanding of a queen regent is <laughs> that you're running things for maybe like a, a prince or a princess who is underage and is going to be um, going to be king later, but you know, they're a kid now and they don't have any kid there. So it's just. Yeah, but that, yeah, I don't know. Is it There's like no kid. There's the king and the queen, and they're calling her regent for some reason. Maybe they mean to say queen consort, but some they said regent. Yeah, who knows? I was wondering if it's some sort of, like, Gondor situation before Gondor or something. Uh, I don't know. Like, is she keeping it for somebody? And also, the queen... <laughs> So yeah, the king, our Ferrazon, is there too. They only call him Ferrazon, but R means king in Numenorean. Oh, it does? Yes. Galadriel... I'm sorry if there seem to be interruptions, it's the dog. Dogs being the dog, okay, she's out of the room now. Okay, Galadriel's brought before them, and she actually bows. Say what you're going to say about that. Okay. Well, there's a few things with Galadriel that I'm going to talk about with this, but that's one of them. I turned to Sarah and said, that doesn't seem like something she would ever do, and Sarah agreed with me. Uh, We both came to the conclusion that Galadriel would probably not bow to any human she might, like, acknowledge a king like Aragorn or something like that later, but I we can't imagine her bowing to any human. We can't even imagine by, bowing to, like, Maiar or anything like that. She would maybe, she would buy, maybe do it for, like, a... A very high-ranking Balar or Or Eruiluvatar himself. Yeah, but, but we can't imagine her, like, casually... And again, she's clearly just doing it in the show for, like, you know, for, for politics and all that stuff, but it's, like... I can't imagine, and honestly, I sort of am a little amazed that some of the humans, all right, a lot of, some of the humans knew who she was, but some were like, oh, she's just some elf or whatever, and there's even a point where they say she's just one elf. Like I said, and I'll make this comparison for other geeks, calling Galadriel just some elf or one elf would be like calling Optimus Prime, like, just some robot or something, or just one robot. That's... No, this is a very... This is one of the most high-ranking, like, living people in Middle-earth. So, like, I can't imagine anything like that happening. They put it in there, they made it work, and I'm sure that nobody's gonna notice it or know the better. But that's, uh... I just thought that was a very weird thing to happen. It made me raise my eyebrows. Uh, Muriel st- corrects them both for bowing because yeah. apparently that's not the Numenorean way. And Galadriel requests passage to Middle Earth. And Muriel's response is that ships have not been there for a lot of years. Oh, actually. Was it Pharaoh's honor said that? One of them said that. 
Yeah, I thought it was him, but I, I'm not sure. Do you have it in your notes? My notes say Muriel, but I, I do well, think it was. Probably, oh, I, well, I don't know. I just it doesn't it. matter. They have not had the ships. Yeah. Going to Middle Earth in many years, and uh, Galadriel brings up the whole thing that Numenor was a gift because of their alliance with the elves, and Muriel is like, "No, it wasn't a gift. We paid for it with the blood of her people." And Galadriel, uh, interestingly, says that blood can be paid if that is the price of passage. When one way or another, she will depart. Yeah. Uh, do you think that? she was talking about killing orcs or do you think she was talking about fighting her way out of I think it was sort of like possibly a double entendre there like you know and not in that way but you know like the whole like she's gonna go there one way or the other but uh she's willing to fight uh and she wants but she wants to fight orcs I imagine and she wants to focus on getting out and fighting orcs but either but, way, that's yeah, the things. situation is starting to get more tense, and Halbrad um, tries to diffuse things by suggesting they think over their request over the next few days while they you know, stay as guests. Galadriel is detained because she's an elf, but they're like, oh, you're not a prisoner. Um, actually, Pharaoh's on himself as though you're not a prisoner and, uh sooner try to kneecap a stallion than make you a prisoner. You're our guest. Yeah. Right. Well, but the thing is that they wouldn't be able to keep her there, really. Like, and, you know, we're, we're going to come to some of this later, but they, they, again, they, they wouldn't be able to keep her there if, they were, if she wanted to leave. So, not sure what exactly was that was about. We're not, I'm not sure why... Again, it seems like they don't fully understand who she is, or what she, she yeah, is. Yeah, the exactly. whole thing, you know, you, you should uh, stay with your escort, you're not safe in this city. This is Galadriel. Yeah, she's like more powerful than anything there, and she's also, you know, a higher ranking, like she, you would think she would be like recognized by name and appearance by this point, but I don't know. I don't know, it's, we'll see what's going on with it. And again, it's not like saying that this is, like, bad storytelling. It's just sort of a bizarre... Con it's bizarre conflict. We're nerds. We, we nitpick. Know. We nitpick, and it's also it's bizarre conflict with what we know is, like, established canon. And again, we understand this is not going to be, like, following canon that closely, but we figured that they would kind of follow that part, at least. Again, it would be like, you know... It, it'd be like... Yeah. I, I mean, I remember having somebody who's really like one of the major characters and then somebody going like oh who are you and it's like okay well um yeah Halbrand actually wants to stay on the island and take up a craft there he doesn't want to jump back into war in the southlands yeah. um Galadriel does want to go back um uh, so people won't be killed by you know the forces of Sauron and yeah she even points out to Halbrand he was willing to jump into the sea to save her she's going back into the war to save a lot more than just one so you, 
you can see they're not disagreeing about they're not agreeing about what they should be doing next. Um, and also, Ferrazon says that the captain who had rescued them is named Alandil. Now, he's an actual familiar character to Lord of the Rings readers. It's a bit less obvious in the movie. Um, this is the father of Isildur, who took the who took the ring from Sauron after he was defeated. Oh, well, there you go. And they show Isildur, his son, on board a ship, but he's uh, swinging around on the rope, and they bring the ship into shore, and the Numenorean sailors face the sea, and they say the sea is always right. Yeah, the sea is always right. Like, and this seems like a... Thing. A ritual that uh, isn't in the book, but it sort of reminds me of the thing where um, the soldiers of Ithilien would face the west before they ate. Like that seems maybe related. That sounds like that could be right. West toward Numenor. And you also see Isildur's sister, Iarian, who is an original character to this. He didn't have a sister in the book. He had brother Anarion, who was also mentioned. I didn't pick out which one was supposed to be Anarion. Now, I say he didn't have a sister. He does not recorded have a sister. Although maybe they're thinking of how sometimes histories would not record women unless they did something especially notable. I'm not saying Middle-earth was definitely like this, but it could have been. Um, the scene changes to where you see the white tree. Uh, this not being the white tree of Gondor, but it's the tree that um, made the seed that the white tree of Gondor was planted from. See, this started out as the tree from Valinor, and they planted a fruit from that in Numenor, and then they planted a fruit from the Numenor one in Gondor, and the tree is always like a little lesser in majesty, but still very impressive. as, I guess, it's being planted in a pro progressively less magical place from further from its ancestor. Yeah. Um, Muriel is talking about how the tree is a reminder that the Valor are always watching and judging them. That's an interesting part. Yeah, it is. And again, it's like, makes you wonder if there's a... Oh, I thought the Muriel from the book was more in favor of both Valar and Elves, but um, being in a position where she was forced to marry the 
king who had his politics that he had, she may have been, you know, limited in what she could have done about it. Um, the Muriel in the show does not seem to have any leanings differently from Ferrazon, at least not openly. Elandil is there and talking about his name, how he's from the Western Shore, which, you know, once again, that's toward the the Western Shore is where there's going to be more people who are in favor of having alliance with the elves. You know, west toward Valinor, that's a thing from the book. And they're talking about how his name means star lover, but also means elf friend. And ask him if he's an elf friend. Ask him really pointedly about that. He says that he's loyal to Numenor. And if she asks if she if he's loyal, she wants him to do a service, and we don't know what the service is. Yeah, but and I imagine it's probably not a good thing. Yeah, it's. And now we're back to Middle Earth in this the orc camp in the Southlands. And the orcs are being bothered by the bright sun overhead. They've actually got some sort of canopies over so that they're shielded from it. And th this is a thing from the books. Orcs do not like sunlight. It hurts their eyes. That's why they live in caves and under normal circumstances only come out at night. The uruk High have a part human ancestry and that's why they can take it, but regular orcs are not going to, under normal circumstances, be out of their caves in the day. And this seems to be ignored in some of the film adaptations, like, oh, you see Azog out in the sunshine and in the live-action Hobbit. The elves that are enslaved in the camp, they think that Morgoth has a successor. And they're planning, which he does, but... Yeah. And they're planning an escape when the sun is highest. So when the orcs will be most, you know, bothered by it. Um... Yeah, an orc overseer is trying to force them to chop down a tall tree that is uh, blocking their way, and the elves argue with him about it because, oh, that tree is so old, it has a right to be here. I think the implication there, the orcs do not. And as this gets more heated... Orc brings out a water ration as reward, quote-unquote, for the strength shown by the elves. And the way it's played is really suspicious-looking, almost like you'd expect that water to be poisoned or something. Yeah, I was wondering if there was some sort of thing or if there was some sort of evil magic that and, was involved. That and we yes, elves seeing. are not immune to poison. 
No, that's one of the things they're not immune to. They're not right. immune to poison. They're not immune to, like, grief or really bad emotions overtaking them. And they're not and, immune to just being killed. Yeah, and they can be killed. Now, they may be harder to kill, and they may be, like, more resistant to certain things, but they're not invincible. They're just... They're, they're immortal as long as none of those things happen to them, which they right. can and often enough do happen. So, it, the way the scene is played, you're partially expecting it to be poison, but in this case, it wasn't. But one of the elves, as he's drinking, the orc, like, cuts his throat. And it's it's really quick. And he ends up dying. And Irondir volunteers to cut down that tree himself so that no other else will be killed. So he goes up to this tree and he's saying words to it in Elvish. Then I wasn't able to quite pick them up, but I did look it up online and I'm sorry if I'm messing up the pronunciation. Um, Anin Epsine. Once again, I am sorry if I pronounce this wrong which translates to forgive me so he is asking the tree to forgive him as he's chopping it down and you can see the sadness on his face but and then he starts just and that's like probably really crazily chopping at it and that's like the elf equivalent of like probably like if you had to, like, if you were being held hostage, and it's like yeah. you're either gonna ki- you're either gonna kill this one guy or everyone else is gonna die. Oh, I wasn't. Yeah. I guess I wasn't comparing it to a person exactly. But what if it was like this ancient tortoise or? Yeah. Well, but I love reptiles. Sorry. I but... thought they did put trees almost on par with people. Like, oh, you know, maybe they do. They do speak with trees, and even if they're not ants, so you're probably right. Like, and they kind of, like, they're not callous towards humans, but they don't seem to acknowledge humans for the most part. So it's like, I kind of figure that they, or they kind of view them as equally sacred, but I don't know. And yet some of their dwellings are made from wood. Yeah, I don't know how that's done. Maybe they either grow it a certain way, or maybe they, uh... Or maybe they cut down large branches, but not the entire tree. I I don't know. And we're back to Numenor, and Galadriel is talking to Elendil, and he offers to take her to the western end of the island. Next thing you know, they're seen riding horses on the beach, and they're like slow mowing on Galadriel's face and on the horse, and how much she loves riding this horse. horse She's a horse girl. Um, the horse is an actual white horse and why I'm pointing this out is most quote unquote white horses you see are actually in technical equestrian terms grey so this isn't common Um, in case you're wondering how you tell is you look at the horse's nose and if the skin on the horse's nose is pink then you probably have an actual white horse. 
compare with Shadow Fax, a gray horse, um, where the skin on the horse's nose is more darker, despite the color of the horse's coat. Yay, horse equestrian lesson, which I'm sure that, uh, some horse person will listen to this eventually and be like, no, there's more to it. Yeah, I'm sure there is. I just don't know it personally. <laughs> but since that's not important to the story, um, we go back to Halbrand, and he's trying to start as a smith in Numenor, specifically a smith, so he must have had a background doing that before he got, um, had to flee the Southlands. And he's told that he needs to have a special medallion to work as a smith, so I, I assume it's, like, some symbol of their, like, trade guild. Gold medallion, it's got a sort of tree design on it. So he goes to some kind of eating establishment, gets himself some a plate full of mussels, and having beers, and there's you know, a bunch of other sailors around. They got some sort of red pepper or hot sauce on the table. You're picturing the scene now. Um, and they're teasing each other about stuff, I would say not in a quite good-natured way. Oh, his alleged relationship with the she-elf, as they say, and uh, he's gonna take their land and their trade, and he's like, uh, don't forget taking your woman, and uh, things start to get pretty tense there, but he then buys drinks for everyone, and they're just and laughing and drinking, happy. and... Well, not only that, but they're being like, hold on, we gotta mention that they're being like... They're being pretty bad to him. Like, they're doing the whole, like, your ancestors did this. Like I said, the, like, the, it's... And again, that's, like, one of those things, make it that what you will, because it's like, yeah, okay, there's, you know, people that are going to be, like, you know, there's real-life instances of that, but this was, like, how many years? This was, like, a thousand years ago? His ancestors sided with Morgoth, was it? Something like that? And it's just him, and they are pretty clearly just... Uh, disliking him just because of where he was from. And it kind of gets into, like, you know, some, some getting into some uh, potentially troublesome territory, which I'm sure it was meant to. I'm sure it was meant to make you think or something. But. Well, he tries to defuse things by buying everyone a round of and drinks, and just... while this is happening... He's uh, lifting one of their medallions off their... And that's the part that doesn't work. Buying the drinks, if he just bought them drinks, he probably would have been fine. And he goes on his way and finds several of them have tracked him down about the medallion. And they have a fight in the alley. There's bashing of heads together and one of them visibly has an arm broken... Yeah, he still, like, he still gives them a really good fight. But, of course, he's arrested for making trouble. Yeah. 
while this is going on, Elandale has taken Galadriel to um, a tower of Hall of Lore of Elros. So I think it's just a little library full of stacks and stacks of scrolls in little things to keep them from spilling out and stacked up to the ceiling. I shouldn't have said little. Um, now, Elros is actually the brother of Elrond. Yeah. Because they were half-elf, they were given the choice to be elf or be human, and Elrond chose being elf, and Elros chose being human, which meant he was mortal. He still lived a long time, and he had descendants, but... Basically, by the time of Lord of the Rings, his descent from a long line, um, Aragorn, and then there's Elrond still around. That also makes um, Aragorn and Arwen cousins many times removed. Although I'd say removed enough times that it really doesn't matter, except for the fandom can go LOL, they were cousins, but... Yeah, but very distant. Um, let's talk about his family. We're loyal to the elves, and they're maintaining this tower, and they were also forced from the throne for loyalty to elves. Now, by the way, Muriel is from this family, so I already said about how her politics didn't seem quite right in her show portrayal. They find an account in the scrolls of a human spy, and the paper had um, that Sauron sigil again on it, written in black speech, and they're looking at it, and they realize that it's just a really stylized map of Mordor. And it talks of evil not only enduring, but thriving under Morgoth's successor. And Galadriel concludes that Sauron has returned, although she seemed to have concluded that a while back. And Elendil says that the Southlands are in danger. And Galadriel saying that if Sauron has really returned, the Southlands are just the beginning. It's going to be a lot worse. Yeah. Which we know it's going to be. And then... Back to Middle-earth. And... You can see a procession of the Harfoot hobbits going along. And they've got these elaborate grass costumes. That... um, some of them look like they're just fully covering the hobbits, and some of them look like warg heads, kind of. And they got a chant, nobody leaves the path, no one gets left behind. This seems to be some kind of like a ceremonial festival. At first,
first I didn't quite understand and I thought that the costumes might be some kind of camouflage or something to intimidate as they're going along like oh I just saw a silhouette of a warg over there but I don't go there uh, could have been both could, could be been something that started out that way and became a festival that was like a whole thing I was taken by surprise and I was like oh so the, it's it's the halflings okay <laughs> Nori Brandyfoot's parents, Largo and Marigold, are in a hut and they're worrying about the migration and how they're going to handle it with... Remember, Largo was the one that really twisted and or broke his ankle disturbingly last episode. So they're worried about him keeping up, but they're like, oh, they've always made it and they'll... They'll make sure they'll do. They walk in front, and they're reminiscing about how they met each other. And oh, they'll make it somehow. And meanwhile, Nori and Poppy are debating about what they're gonna do about the guy that fell out of the sky with the meteor. And Poppy thinks that this uh, quote-unquote giant should just be given food and pointed in the direction of the nearest human village. And she's also pretty freaked out by how he killed those fireflies when he was arranging them into, like, star patterns. Yeah. Yeah, I failed to mention this last time, but yeah, the fireflies actually died from this. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that happened or not. I wasn't sure either, but yeah... She's like, he murders fireflies, which... So, yeah, they're dead. Which is kind of disconcerting. And... Nori wants to find where he really belongs, and she thinks the fireflies were an accident. And her plan is to sneak into Sadok's hut to see if his books have the chart to find the right stars. And Sadok is pretty stern and wouldn't like some, you know, youngsters going in and stealing his books. So they're trying to not be seen. And he comes in. So while Nori is looking for the book, Poppy is trying to distract him. And she manages to grab like a sheet of paper with a chart of the stars on it. Uh, I should also point out, Sadok has a ring on a chain around his neck. I don't know what it is, where he got it from, what it does, but he has one. Yeah, we... That's one of those things that we're debating on whether... I mean, it's probably going to be shown later on, but... Sadok makes a ceremonial speech where they remember hobbits that were quote unquote left behind and they say oh they always wait for them and 
remember them, but it's kind of clear that these hobbits were not actually left behind in the usual sense they're dead, because the accidents he describes happening were not ones that sound like they were survived. We're talking rock slide, wolf attack. Um, one of them was gotten by bees. They all laugh at that. Oh, he always was an idiot. Um... And while this is happening, Meteor Man has a piece of has the piece of star chart and he's studying it really intently and it catches fire on from like a candle or something and he's kind of like haplessly trying to put it out by waving it which as you may guess makes it worse. Um if he wanted to put have any chance of putting it out, he should have tried to like smother it in his cloak or I put it on the ground and stomp on it. He's waving it around. He's making it a lot worse. He gets tangled in the tent. Yeah. And just, like, reels out in front of everyone, totally wrapped in it. Um, if he does turn out to be Radagast, he was looking pretty Radagast-like there. Um, I'm actually still leaning more toward him being Gandalf in the end, but... Yeah, we were wondering about that. If he's... Who he could be, if he's Gandalf, if he's Radagast, if there's some other... He doesn't seem zany enough to be Tom, and Tom would have been there all along. Yeah. Uh, he calls out for Nori, which... Well, that did it. The Harfoots now know that he's there, and they know that Nori is the reason he's there. And, you know, there's immediate argument about what should be done. And, oh, have you ever, have you heard of beings falling from the stars? And Sedok says he's heard of beings becoming stars, but not the other way around. Um, I assume he's referring to Arendelle, the mariner, who, him and his ship and the lamp. With the Silmaril, they eventually become... The Morning Star. You know, Venus to us. Yeah. Um, and Nori's taking the side of, you know, it's, it's friendship to help this stranger, and um, the other Harfoots are taking the side that it's dangerous yeah. and it's a form of leaving the path to bring this stranger among them. And one hobbit even says that Harfoots that break the rules get decaravaned. Yeah, but also that's one of those things that seems a little harsh to decaravan somebody who uh, brings in a stranger to me. Grant, he's a... They don't know who he is, and he's a... They don't know know who or even what he is. He's a big guy. He's a big human, so at least appears to be... He appears to be human, and he's got some kind of magic, which could be dangerous. And Sadok says they are not going to be decarafan, but their cart is going to be at the back of the line. Now, as you remember, Lago's ankle is severely injured, and their family's plan to not get left behind was to have their cart at the front. And Marigold says that they may as well have been left behind. Now this, there's such a community-focused 
society, but they're not going to make sure that the hobbit with the injured foot keeps up and doesn't get left behind to his fate. Yeah, we don't know about that. We don't see anything like that, so... But that's what... That's what they're worried about happening. They put the car- the the cart that they know has the injured one at the back as punishment for this infraction from their daughter and Yeah, and that's that's kinda of messed up. And they were worried about being left behind even before that, which like what, they don't care for their injured even though they're all about community. And also, left behind, the way they talk about it, it's like being actually left behind, being banished, and being dead are talked about synonymously. As if they're the same thing, as if they mean the same thing. Like, the hobbit that was killed by wolves is the same as a hobbit that didn't keep up. Yeah, which... I mean, I guess it makes some level of sense. Um, Bill actually compared them to, like, herd uh, herd animals, how that works. Well, they kind of are, almost. And and that's one of those things that'll be interesting to see what changes, because I'm sure that's being set up to change. And their society's being set up to change, so... You know, they could really use having some ponies right now. Oh, there you go. Like... Put Largo on a pony. Yeah, that's gonna be uncomfortable, but. They do not appear to have any kind of domesticated animals. Nope. So after this all happens, Marigold takes Nori aside, and Nori is still talking about how she's interested in adventure and. Marigold is like, you think that you're special and there's destiny attached to this stranger, and um, Nori says that she knows that she, you know, is isn't special, she's just ordinary, but the stranger is. Now, I'm not taking this as Nori being self-deprecating, but this guy fell from the stars and is doing magic so obviously, you know, there's something different with him. Marigold is clearly, she's worried about her family. She tells Nori that she's got a heart like her father, but the tallest milkweed gets snipped. So, you know, you've got yourself a countryfied, pithy hobbit saying here. Yeah. Um, back to Numenor, where there's a rather violent puppet show involving human puppets and an elf and it's got uh, I Smite Thee and it's just kind of going on in the background Uh, the thing about puppet shows is uh, I know I'm kind of comparing with Game of Thrones here but Sometimes they're entertainment, and sometimes they're political. That's it. Well, they're usually both. So. It's probably a political undertone. And a place where it really looks political is where the the show concludes with the elf bowing to the humans. 
So I do think that was likely a bit of a political thing going on there. Um, there's a planned voyage that um, Elendil wants a Sildur to go on, and the Sildur doesn't want to go. Elendil tells him that the sea heals the deepest of wounds, and maybe not disrespectfully, but kind of sarcastically, he's like, the way it has healed yours, father. To which, how depressed he looks as uh, Isildur says this, it's clear it hasn't. Um, Iarian has been accepted to a builder's guild, and she wasn't going to be, but Isildur convinced her to apply for it. Um, this is also the scene where um, Elandil's other son, Anarion, is mentioned, but I didn't see which one he was. Um, back to Halbrand, who is shown in prison because of the fight. Yeah, he's just being kept in prison because he was jumped. I mean, granted, he did try and take the that thing, so I guess uh, he wasn't going to get away with that. But, yeah, he was pretty much jumped anyway. And Galadriel, who, who they were ultimately more interested in imprisoning, is not in prison and is visiting him, and they're both... Yeah, you know, kind of debating about which one belongs on that island. You know, like, you're the one who belongs it. You're the one who belongs here. And she shows him that paper. And the paper also has a sigil that is not Sauron's of people from the south. And I didn't properly catch this part because Halbrand said that he had something that he found from a dead man. And I didn't catch what it was. I think it had something to do with a sigil, but I didn't see exactly what he was talking about. Yeah, I didn't see anything. Uh, next thing you see Muriel going into a room alone and she says it is here father the moment we feared the elf has arrived which uh, as I've said about Muriel this doesn't make really sense for her character no it doesn't but I don't know where they're going so something has been changed and I don't know where they're going with it yeah um we're next back with the Harfoots, and they're traveling, and the last wagon gets stuck, and they're struggling to move it, and the stranger who fell from the meteor just says, friends, he's picking up a tiny bit of the language, and he gets behind the cart and starts pushing, yeah. and Norris says, we help him, and he helps us. Yeah, which makes sense. And, yeah, I am not really thinking Meteor Guy is going to turn out to be evil in the end. I don't know, but... Hey, he's helping the hobbits push the cart. Yeah. And 
if he does turn out to be Gandalf, maybe this is the beginning of Gandalf's relationship with the Shire and Hobbits that the, uh... Oh, that's a good idea. I never really thought of that. That actually might be it. That might be... Might be witnessing something of an origin right here. Like, it's not just because they got good pipeweed and... Yeah. That would be an interesting thing. I could see them doing that. Now back to the orc prison camp. The elf prisoners, they try to make their break and they're hacking at their chains with their work tools. One escaped elf runs for it, but he gets killed by a weapon that is thrown. And they also knock down the orc's awning that protects them from the sun so the light's hurting their eyes orcs release a warg and this warg it's funny looking like I think of it as almost like a little toy breed warg if there was such a thing Yeah, it's much smaller than any of the wargs that you see any of the other times which still makes it as big as a very large dog. I'd say a little bigger than that. But yeah. But still not as big as like... As big as... Okay, as big as a boar. As big as a... But not as big as like these huge wargs that we see. It's not rideable sized. Yeah. yeah. And there's a fight. There's a fight with this warg. And the design is different too. It doesn't look like the... And Teladont wargs that they showed earlier in the same show. It looks more like a weird, like, canine pig cross, in a way. And I was watching this with a dog, and the dog... Um, if you've listened to our... Um, House of the Dragon related podcast you may remember how we were talking about how the dog was going crazy when a stag was being hunted and dogs were barking she didn't care about this warg fight no she like, was it, just looking it's not it. a big dangerous deer it's just a warg yeah <laughs> um Aronda ends up getting pinned down and then we go to the orcs are chanting Edar, Edar, Edar. Which means father. It means father. And they are approaching an unclear, elvish looking figure. You never quite see his face, but by the profile, he's an elf. Yeah. Now that's interesting, and it's been controversial with the fans already. Well, a few people think that it's Sauron. I think that's very likely. I think that's very likely, too. That's Sauron in his, like, fair form form to deceive. Yeah, because he can do that. Like, orcs calling Sauron father makes sense. Yeah. Um, an elf going evil has happened, you see. But that makes less sense. Yes, I mean... Like, for example, some of the, like, Fionor and his sons have done arguably evil actions. Um, the kin slaying isn't exactly nice. 
but a lot of this is motivated by pride, and I don't think elvish pride would have would allow for alliance with orcs. But then again, why is alliance? Other than that, is there any other reason why alliance with orcs is the line they wouldn't cross? I don't know. It's hard to say. But unless this is Sauron, there is no book Tolkien precedent for this happening. Unless this is Sauron. And so far I'm leaning toward that's exactly who it is. And that's... I think it's Sauron too, personally. I think that that's the only thing that really makes sense. Either that or it would have to be some sort of lieutenant of Sauron. But Sauron, I think, it would make sense to have Sauron appear now and in this way. And I think that would be a good way to introduce him. So. And that's how the episode ends. Mm-hmm. Do you have any more comments about any of it? Yeah. Well, looking forward to finding out what all that was about in upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening to Cast It Into the Fire podcast, and uh, have a great day. Good night.